Today, I am bringing you an audio version of my latest short story, which is called Ravens. It was read by my father-in-law, who's called Jim, and he's Canadian. I feel it's important that you should know that he's Canadian. And we recorded it by going into his car and stuffing it full of duvets and pillows and blankets and turning it into a mini recording studio. And it was so much fun. So thanks for listening. Uh, Here is part one of Ravens. Nobody cared for a city without water. The people never saw drones or heat clouds or auto floods, but the war still came to them. That night, the skyscrapers lit up like beacons, and when the people nearby heard the screams and shattering glass, they fled. Thousands flowed down the dry river, heading for the float. They ran to it for safety, but instead they found a fortress. The ramps were raised and the engines glowed white with fire. When the freighter rose, it left ruins and hot death on the ground. Sura was far from the city when the float launched. He heard the thump of the engine as it heaved from the river, and he turned to see it cover the stars with its shadow. Below it, the ancient skyscrapers burned in strange constellations. He cried to the gods of his people, praying the names of his little family. Then he tightened the straps on his pack and entered the wilderness. He walked along the riverbed until the lights of the city disappeared behind the pines, and he placed his pack in the snow and pulled out the device. When he switched it on, it reeled in a high pitch and then settled into a hum. In the distance, the float bellowed. As Sura waited, a cloud crept into the forest, and the boulders and the islands of trees became shadow shapes as the fog filled the river like slow water. Sura found himself shivering, and he packed the device and headed upriver. As the river wound, he cut the turns, climbing out and dropping back in at each meander. Something followed him along the riverbed. He could hear it sniffing in frantic breaths. He changed direction and headed towards the far side of the river, careful to pack the snow with slow footsteps. But he had not lost his tracker. He crouched below the line of a boulder and listened. The sniffing had stopped. He peeked around the side of the rock. There was no movement, but there were footprints. Then the attack came. She leapt upon Sura, and he turned them as they fell onto the riverbed. He tried to push himself up, but talons dug into the side of his head, and he was back in the snow. Sura could feel contact at his legs. He kicked wild and scrabbled up. He brushed hair and snow from his eyes and saw the sniffer. Her hair was lank, and overalls were dark with old blood. She pounced at him, but Sura dodged, and she fell. He grabbed a stone, but in the second he took to pick it up, she was on her feet again. Her eyes flickered from left to right, but they did not see him. She sniffed at the air and then at the ground, and Sura raised the rock to strike. Then his pack became so heavy that he fell backwards. Many hands and knees held him down, and he felt cold metal against his neck. More and more of them came. They were like her, all pale, all stained, all blind. The attacker sniffed at Sura's neck. Ain't no creature, she said. 
The blind ones laughed. He's got food, she said. Then Sura saw no more. He was turned over, and he got a mouth of snow as they shoved his head down into it. They cut the straps of his pack and took it. He heard them tapping the cans of float soup and quenching their thirst with his canteen. Then he heard the wail and swallow of the device as it called out to the forest. They had switched it on. Somebody lifted his head from the snow. What is it? she said. Sura took too long to answer, and she gouged into his cheek with a sharpened nail until he cried out. Blood ran into his mouth. Speak, she said. Sura never answered. There was a shriek from one of the others, and then the sounds of panic. Then the knees and hands pressing him into the snow released him, and Sura turned himself around. The mist was filled with swooping shadows. They rasped and hollered and tore at arms and eyes, and the blind ones fled. One man fell, but before he could gather himself, the birds were on him. He dropped a can of float soup, and Sura picked it up. It had been punctured by a knife, and the last of the soup bled onto the snow. Then he spotted the sniffer. Under one arm she held his pack, and with the other she led a young man, whose hair was black like hers. They stayed low, and she moved over the stones like she could see. Sura followed them upriver. As they got further from the chaos, the shouts changed into far echoes, and he matched his footsteps with theirs to hide the sound of his own. Then they stopped, and she opened the pack. She found two tins of float soup and handed them to the other. Sura moved closer. The boy pierced them with a knife, and they drank from them. The soup ran down their faces and onto their overalls, and they groaned. Then a raven swooped from the branches, and the sniffer dropped her can and screamed. Sura attacked as well. He grabbed the boy by the wrist and slammed the back of his hand into a rock. He screamed and screamed, and Sura didn't stop until the knife had dropped into the snow. Sura grabbed it and smashed the handle into his nose. Then he held the knife up to his throat. He looked to where the sniffer had been, but there was only the raven, busted up and leaking red into the snow. He looked about amongst the pines. She had disappeared into the mist. He leaned in close to the boy. Quiet, he said. He went quiet, but he breathed like a bear through his open mouth. Then Sarah heard a pressing of snow and a sniff in the air. He spoke to her. Hey! She came out from behind an island of roots and dropped the pack. You give me the food or I kill him, he said. She faced him, but her eyes stared into nothing. Sounds like the same thing to me, she said. She ran at him, and the weight of her attack made him fall. The knife caught and was pulled from his grasp, and then he grappled with her. They wrestled in the powder until blood ran thick. When she smelled it, she pushed herself off of him, and she scrambled over to the boy. The blood was his. The knife was stuck in his neck. She wailed in high pain. As the scream bounced from the banks, another sound joined it. The ravens were coming. They swept out of the mist, and she tried to drag the boy, even as the birds clawed and scratched. Sarah grabbed the pack, and he ran upstream. He ran until his breath burned in his throat. Then he left the river and hauled himself up into a tree. He waited and waited.
Then there was a noise nearby. There was nobody on the ground, but he saw that the forest around him was full of wings and eyes and talons and beaks. As had been the promise, the device worked. You've been listening to part one of Ravens by me, Toby Wilmot, read by Jim Inkster. Thank you to you for listening, and thanks, of course, Jim Inkster for an excellent reading. The tracks you heard on the podcast today were Arm and Relief by Gerdon Ark and Dazed by Jerris. I got all of those from CC Mixter, which is a great website where you can go and get royalty-free music. So go and check it out at dig.ccmixter.org. That's all for now. So if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at Toby Wilmot. And of course, you can find me on the blog at tobywilmot.com. See you next week. <laughs>